All right, welcome to Wellness Wednesdays with me, Recovery Ray, brought to you by Balance, period. For today's episode, I'm going to do a mindful moment to kick things off, and then I'm going to do the mindful reflection question of the week. Shout out to the Generational Wellness Digest. And then after I complete that question, I will go into the check-in for this week. I'm really excited for this week's check-in because I will be reviewing my latest blood work results from Inside Tracker. So I'll be giving you all an update on where my inner age is and also some of the next steps that I'll take after analyzing this data that I just got back from them. I'll also talk about any updates to my sustainable self-care system and then I'll finish it out with the uh, resource from this week, which is an article about the importance of knowing and understanding your family health history. I briefly alluded to that last week, but I wanted to do a deep dive into why it's important to be aware of what your family health history is and make sure that you are doing your due diligence to expand your awareness of the ailments, of the conditions, and of the causes of death that have happened in your family, because that can inform decisions that you can make about the lifestyle that you live to make sure you're maintaining optimal health. So definitely looking forward to diving into that article. So let's go ahead and get things rolling with today's mindful moment. What we're going to do is three deep breaths. And then at the end of the third breath, we're just going to sit in stillness. I'll guide us through a brief awareness practice. First and foremost, you want to pay attention to your posture. Sit upright yet relax. And it counts down three, two, one. And we'll take these three deep breaths together. Three, two, one. Take the first deep breath. And another. And one more. Allow your breathing to return to its normal pattern. Now notice the contact that your body is making to the surface beneath you. And really feel where those connections are being made. Now notice any physical sensations you feel as you inhale and exhale. It could be the movement in your chest or abdomen or the cooling or warming sensations you may feel as you inhale and exhale. Just focus your attention on what sensation is most salient for you in this moment. Now, if your mind has wandered from you focusing on what you can feel as you breathe, that's okay. Just gently and kindly bring your attention back to your breath. Now let's take a couple more deep breaths together. Deep inhale through your nose. And exhale through your mouth with a sigh. One more time. Deep inhale through your nose. And exhale through your mouth with a sigh. If your eyes are closed, slowly begin to blink them open. Welcome back. So I enjoyed that mindful moment. 
it was nice just to pause and breathe a little bit. I do this regularly. So as you know, I have those reminders set in my phone to prompt me to pause and breathe throughout the day. And I actually had a reminder at like 5.33, which is when this was supposed to start. But due to technical difficulties, (laughs) we started a little bit later than normal. So it was nice just to allow myself to be in that moment with you all for this mindful moment and let go of those expectations that I set on starting at a certain time. Because when expectations are unmet, frustration is normally not too far behind. And I'm grateful that through practices like pausing and breathing, I'm able to allow the emotions that may arise to pass. So shout out to this mindful moment. Thank you all for participating. Remember, all you have to do is just pause and breathe sometimes. It is seems so simple, yet it can truly be transformational for how you relate to the present moment and how you feel and function on a daily basis. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the mindful reflection question from this week's Generational Wellness Digest. So if you all are not subscribed, I highly recommend you do so. There will be a link in the show notes for you to access our feed of volumes. This week was volume 132. So you can access all of what we've posted so far. Each week, there is a mindful moment. So there's a breathing practice. There is a mindful movement. There's a stretch routine. There is a mindful reflection question, which I'll talk about here momentarily. There's also an affirmation. And then there is finally that, actually, I don't want want to say finally, there's a couple more things. There's the replay from any podcast episode that we want to highlight. Then there is the upcoming health and wellness events. So you can stay abreast of what's happening here in the city of Indianapolis as it relates to health and wellness events. And then finally, it's the resource. So it's just a piece of education that you can use to continue to expand your awareness of ways to enhance your quality of life. So this week's Mindful Reflection question is, drumroll please, what are my core values and how am I aligning my actions and choices with them? What are my core values and how am I aligning my actions and choices with them? That's a powerful question. So I know personally, I really didn't pay attention to what my core values were until I would say probably the end of 2017 going into 2018. I had already experienced pulmonary embolism. I knew that I wanted to live a different life than what I had been living before, but I wasn't 100% sure how. And through just consuming a whole lot of personal development and self-help work, I realized that one of the things that I could do to set the foundation for who I become is identify the values or the characteristics that would make up the person that would live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. So that was my first taste of even identifying what my core values were. So if you hear that first portion of the question, what are my core values? And that isn't something that you've taken time to address. That's okay. But I would highly recommend you consider thinking about the person that you want to be and then reverse engineer your way to, well, what characteristics will make up this person? For me, that's how I went through the process of creating what my core values are. And there may be some things that 
are just inherent things that may have been passed down, you know, through family, things like that. And that's fine. But know that you do have the freedom to choose what your core values are, which I think is is important. It's important to understand and it's important to leverage. So for me, the first ones that I identified, I wanted to be grateful. I wanted to be humble. I wanted to demonstrate love. So I wanted to be love. I also wanted to be fearless and then I wanted to be healthy. And so currently, those are definitely still a part of my core values. But I, I at this point, I kind of limit them to three at any given point that I truly focus my attention and energy on. Currently, mine are peace, freedom, and humility. So those are my three core values. And how am I aligning my actions and choices with them? So one of the things that I do to make sure that I stay in alignment is bring my awareness back to those three core values when I prioritize time to pause and breathe. I believe that I can't truly keep my actions and choices aligned with my core values if I'm not keeping those core values at the forefront of my mind. So if I'm just getting caught up in the day and my mind is just all over the place, I'm not even going to be considering my values when I'm thinking about my choices and actions. So that's one thing that I do to keep my actions aligned. Um, and my choices align. I also, as I talked about early in the year, I really use like long-term goals to inform my present moment decisions. And so when I think about my core values, I connect them to things that I want to see long-term, whether it's personally, whether it's professionally. The things that I, like I said before, how I set these core values in the first place, I thought about who I wanted to be. And then brought about these values, right? These characteristics of who, of who that person was. And so that's really my thought process on it, right? Identifying what they are, kind of starting with the end in mind. I know for me, I want to create generational wellness and I want to empower other people to do the same. I want to live a, a long, happy, healthy life. Those are the things that I want to do. So when I'm thinking about the choices I'm making, I'm like, well, is my choice aligned with my value of, uh, let's say, gratitude. Am I demonstrating gratitude in how I'm communicating with myself or other people in this moment, right? Um, Am I being humble right now, right? Regardless of what I've accomplished so far, regardless of what this moment brings that may, you know, that may be praise of some kind for something that I've did or someone expressing just the the value that I've been able to add to them in their experience, am I humble in my acceptance of that? Am I humble in my communication with other people? So that's kind of my thought process on it. Um, I, I definitely leverage those mindful moment reminders, though, to help keep those values at the forefront of my mind and then determine if the actions and choices that I'm making, which are aligned with my long-term goals, are in alignment with those values, too. So. That's how I approach it. Um, I highly recommend you take some time to think about that, both the first part of that question. So what are your core values? And then how are you going about aligning your actions and your choices with those values? All right. So let's move on to actually let's go to the next portion of the Generational Wellness Digest here. So we have the affirmation. And as I mentioned last week, we've been sourcing these affirmations from Demond Hicks. He has a book called The Mindset Shift. It'll be available for everyone to purchase at the end of this month. You'll make 
I'll make sure that you have a link to that. But the affirmation for this week is I view mistakes as valuable learning experiences, not failures. I view mistakes as valuable learning experiences and not failures. Along any journey in life that we take, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, there are going to be instances where things don't happen the way that we plan them to and that we fail or that we experience a setback. Honestly, the the beauty of this affirmation is you communicating to yourself the understanding that each time a mistake is made or a failure is experienced, that it's a valuable learning opportunity in that moment as well. Because I, and I'll say this from experience, I have learned more from the failures that I experienced in my life than I did my successes. And I think that's probably the case for the majority of us. So when you're able to shift your mindset to not be critical of yourself in those moments of a setback or, you know, you kind of missing the mark on an action that you took, you open yourself up to learn how you can make a tweak or an adjustment to that action so that you can get a different result the next time you give it a try. And that small shift in how you view the situation that you're in can completely transform the quality of your experience, not just what's happening internally, but then also what you're creating externally through the actions that you take. So that was the affirmation for this week. I view mistakes as valuable learning experiences, not failures. So shout out to Daman. Like I said before, I'll make sure that you all get access to the link when it's live to be able to purchase the book. We can only manage what we measure. That's why we partnered with Whoop so you can get the latest and most advanced health and fitness wearable on the market for free. Not only does it monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and overall health, it also offers personalized recommendations and coaching feedback. You can finally take the guesswork out of deciding which self-care habits will actually help you feel good and function at your best. Visit join.whoop.com forward slash balance period and order your free Whoop 4.0 today. That's join.whoop.com forward slash balance period. Enjoy the rest of the show. All right. Let's talk about my inside tracker results. Let's talk about these inside tracker results. As you all know, I've been taking inside tracker. Honestly, it's been a year. My first inside tracker test was June of 2022. So it's been a year. And I use this platform to give me detailed insights on my optimal ranges for the various different biomarkers that are measured in a blood test. There are 44 biomarkers that I started to measure since the beginning of this year. So this is kind of the second time that I've done this, uh, this detailed of a blood work test. But the product of the test is something called an inner age. And I've talked about it on this platform before, but we all have this chronological age, which is what's measured every time we have a birthday. We also have this biological age. So based on where our biomarkers are, so whatever ranges that they're in, that gives us insight on essentially how aged our body is. And so our inner age can look different than our chronological age. Or let me say our biological age can look different from our chronological age. And so 
I had been tracking that, like I said, since this time last year. And my first inner age test, we'll pull it up just so that I can accurately share where I started. I believe I was like 36, but give me one moment here. My progress. So the first test I took, I was a 36.7. That was what my inner age was. The second test dropped that down to a 33.1. And I will say those first two, it's not that I don't count them, but I didn't measure as many biomarkers as I have the last two. Then the last one put me back up. So I was at a 37.2. And then finally, this latest one, I am at a 29.2. So I saw an eight-year shift in my inner age from February till now the end of June when I took that test. And I'm grateful, super grateful that that's the case. But one of the things I wanted to highlight is that just because that's the case, I'm still analyzing this information. I'm still looking at where my levels are and determining what's the best course of action to continue to keep that number going down. (laughs) I think sometimes, at least for me, I'll get to a milestone. I'm like, yes, I accomplished something. And I kind of get lackadaisical in the activity that I was doing in order to get to that point. Kind of like I'm cool. I kind of get complacent with my action taking. So I wanted to highlight that. That's not where my mindset is right now, right? I'm taking this data. I'm learning from it. I'm going to make adjustments based on what I'll talk about here in a moment. Okay, so just wanted to share that. Now, let's take a look at my actual blood work and see where the, some of my biomarkers are a little off. A lot of them are optimized, which I'm grateful for. And that's also something I want to mention with Inside Tracker. The additional value that they offer is most times if you go to your doctor, and I've talked about this on the platform before, if you go to your doctor, they do a blood test, and then they tell you that you're okay. It may be that you're okay as it relates to the clinical ranges of these different biomarkers, but they're not truly understanding your optimal range for a, any given biomarker. And that's what Inside Tracker does. It takes into account your age. It takes into account your activity level, your ethnicity, right? These other things that impact where your optimal is. Um, they also do genetics as well. I haven't got a genetic test yet, but it'll definitely be something that I do here in the future. So it takes all of these things into account to calculate what your optimal ranges are for every biomarker. And that's what it gives you feedback on when you're looking at your analysis of the blood work. So for me, my inflammation group is an area that I need additional work on. Um, My white blood count and my neutrophils, those both are low. And if you look back historically of my health data, that's the case. Um, I've talked to my primary care physician about it. She just mentioned that it is common in the black community for those readings to be low. So it's not something that I am like a, afraid of or that I'm saying, oh, I need to make some changes or adjustments. Trust me, I've already asked things that I can do. My primary care physician said, that's just where your normal levels are. Like I just have a different level of normal. So those aren't things that I'm looking to make any adjustments to right now, but I definitely just keep an eye on it. And I also want to see that if there are other habits that I'm adopting or incorporating, if those things do change over time, because I wouldn't know if I'm not tracking it. But Um, is definitely something that I am keeping an eye on. The one thing I will say, though, is that I am keeping an eye on the consistency of them, too. 
and they've been at a consistent state for as long as I've been measuring them. All right, my sugar group. So my sugar group is made up of my HbA1c and my glucose. And so in this case, my glucose level is in its optimal range and it's also trending down. So it's trending into a more optimal range, which I'm grateful for. My HbA1c is still a little bit high, so it's above my optimal range. I'm not in like a clinical range where they would, you know, recommend medication or anything as if I am like pre-diabetic, but it's still a little bit higher than my optimal. But if you look at the trend line, the trend line is going down. So I just need to stay consistent with my nutrition and hopefully we'll continue to see that get lower as time progresses. Uh, my lipid group. So my lipids are the LDL, HDL, which are the, they call them like the bad and the good cholesterol. We have my triglycerides, total cholesterol, and my apolipo-B. And, you know, my LDLs were a little high, so higher than the last one. Uh, and that is the, the quote-unquote bad cholesterol. So some of the recommendations um, that they're offering are if I'm consuming coconut oil to limit it or to just take it out of my diet altogether. And it also talks about adding like healthier fats into my diet. So one of the recommendations they had was just to add some um, like extra virgin olive oil into my diet on a regular basis. So that is something that I am looking to see a shift in my LDL, getting that number back into its optimal range. HDLs are good, triglycerides, everything else is consistent um, and, and going well. My liver enzymes, there's one thing that is out of range, my ALT. So that happened before, though. I took a test last fall, and this was the case. So what I do, and I've talked about it the last time I shared this data, what I do is I take this information and send it to my doctor. I have a hematologist. I'll send it to my hematologist and see what, any, what if any, recommendations that they have so that I can continue to align my biomarkers with their optimal ranges. The one thing that I did want to highlight is that something that I learned from the last test that I made an adjustment to was my iron. Remember, my iron levels were low, which prompted me to need to go see my hematologist again, get additional blood work, and they ended up prescribing me to just be on an iron supplement. I have, I've been taking the iron supplement, and my follow-up for my hematologist is a little later this month, but my iron levels are high now. So there's going to be some middle ground that I come to for taking my iron supplement. I probably won't do it daily. We'll see what my doctor recommends. But as I've talked about before, the value of getting this data is to be aware of that. Because if I had high iron and it just stayed high, that could produce potential you know, effects on my health down the line. But if I'm only getting things checked once a year, we're mi I'm missing out on opportunities to learn about adjustments and changes that my body are, are making. And in turn, adjustments and changes that I need to make to my lifestyle in order to accommodate my body living in a state where it's optimized. So they're really, other than that, other than things that I mentioned, everything else is in its optimal range. So I'm really just looking to stay consistent, right? I'm looking to stay consistent. And one of the biggest things, though, that I am doing coming out of this blood work test is 
honestly, is reevaluating my relationship with the food that I eat and going back to just auditing that on a consistent basis. I will say I am in an environment right now where Kelly and I are still living in her parents' house and there's not too much choice that I have in the food that I eat. And I don't want to say like I'm eating things I don't want to eat, but we've been in this rhythm of, you know, this is what's for dinner. And it's going to be different when we move. We, we have found an apartment, which I'm excited to announce, and we'll be moving in September. So I believe that I will see a shift in my ability to curate what I consume as it relates to food once I am back living on, or Kelly and I are back living on our own. Because we'll be the ones doing the grocery shopping and the cooking and the decision making around what we eat. That will allow me to be more specific in what I add to my diet or take out. Not that I can't do it now, but I will say I'm just, I'm in a groove. The habits have been developed over the last couple of years. And for me, the fact that I see a change in the horizon, I'm okay with staying where I'm at, doing what I'm doing and waiting until things are, you know, my environment is different before I make some significant changes to my diet. So one of the things that I will say that I will be looking to make a shift in. And as I mentioned before, my HbA1c, which um, is the average blood sugar level, that's at an okay state. It's a little high, but it's trending down. That is contributing to my inner age being even where it's at. So it's a two-year contribution to where my inner age is. So my focus is going to be to lower that by the next time I do a test. And that will come through just being more mindful of what I'm consuming, limiting added sugar to the foods that I eat. But I do want to see if I can make a shift to that and then see what impact that has on my inner age the next time that I do test. So wouldn't it be nice to have a reminder to pause, breathe and reconnect to the present moment? You can now get yourself a piece of mindful merch from the Balance Period store that will help you do just that. Each item in our store rocks our logo, which is designed to prompt you to pause, observe a deep breath, and remember that you are whole and you are enough, and you have everything you need in this moment to experience peace, regardless of what's happening outside of your control. As a listener of this podcast, you get free shipping on any order from the Balance Period store. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout to get your discount. Visit shop.balanceperiod.com and get your mindful merch today. That's shop.balanceperiod.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. The article this week. I briefly talked about it last week and I said I wanted to have a, a focus on family health history because I talked about right going to the health fair and getting education and getting these screenings. Sometimes it can be overwhelming to step into a huge event hall and see all of the options of where you can go. And you're like, I don't even know where to go first. If you have a family health history, this can inform your decision about what educational materials you get and what screenings you choose to get. Because history repeats itself, especially if 
we're living a similar lifestyle as the people in our families that experience these conditions and these ailments that may run in our family. So truly identifying your family health history is very important. And this article breaks down how you can go about creating an in-depth family health history for yourself and not just for you. The beauty of this is it recommends you create it for yourself and then make it accessible to the rest of your family. Now, this is something that after reading it, I'm like, I need to do this for me and my family too. This is an, an additional contribution to generational wellness, in my opinion, for me. It's saying, let me figure out what will work best to collect all the data that I can on my family health history and then make it accessible to my family. So I will give you all an update on how that goes, but a lot of it is going to come from what I'll talk about here shortly. So the title of the article and this article is from Healthline. The title is Family Health History, Why It's Important and What You Should Know. And so it talks about how certain traits may increase the likelihood of certain ailments being the case. We talked about those disorders that disproportionately affect the black community. If you remember, or you will remember, right? I'll read through this list and some of these will be consistent. We have cancer, diabetes, asthma, heart disease, and blood clots. Ding, 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 blood clots for me. Um, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, arthritis, depression, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. These are things that can be impacted by traits within your family. But if you don't know who in your family has been impacted by these things or if they've been impacted by these things, you're missing out on an opportunity to understand what you may be more susceptible to experiencing as it relates to your health. So whose history do you need to know, right? Who do you need to collect this information on? Trust me, it's not everyone. So if you have a big family, know that you don't have to hit up everyone to get this information. But it talks about just the core people. So you have your parents, of course, <laughs> definitely. I would say start with your parents. You don't need, if you have step parents or uh, step siblings, you don't have to worry about them. Your siblings, though, so your blood-related siblings. Your children, so you want to know for your children as well. Any aunts and uncles, as long as they're in your bloodline, so if they married into your family, but they're not blood-related, then you don't have to worry about them. Nieces and nephews, so again, blood relatives. And then grandparents and great-grandparents. It's beautiful if you're able to go back that far. Not all of us have access to that. It'll talk about some ways to work around that here in a bit. But I'll say start with your parents and then go to your siblings and then aunts and uncles and then nieces and nephews and then your, your grandparents if you can get access to that. So that's where you start. Those are the individuals that you need to gain a deeper understanding of their health history. And it's not just what they died from, even though that's important, but it's also any ailment or any condition that they had while they were alive, too. So keep that in mind. All right. It says, how can I gather the information? Now, it's probably simple or most simple, I should say, to just ask. So if there's someone in your family, I know for me, the first person that comes to mind is my mom. I'm asking my mom, hey, I'm going to first make a list of all the people <laughs> and then say, hey, what, what conditions did they have or were they ever diagnosed with? What did they die from if they are, if they're dead? Something else that I'm asking just for my knowledge and they didn't mention in the article. Do you have any 
insights or ideas of different habits that they practice? Did they drink alcohol? What was their diet like? Those are the things that I'm asking too, because for me, that's important. The conditions that we experience, our health outcomes, yes, are impacted by genetics, but it's also by our mindset around our health and the habits that we practice, right? The lifestyle that we live. So I would highly recommend integrating that into your health history too. That's going to be a part of mine. So I wanted to share that just because the article didn't um, explicitly mention it. So it says get the right information. It talks about major medical issues, causes of death, the age of the onset condition being, being prevalent for them, their ethnic background, and then their environment. So it definitely touched upon a bit of the social determinants of health as well. But those are the five key things that it talks about. I'll say those again, the major medical issues that the individual experienced, the cause of death if they have passed, the age of onset, so when they were diagnosed with each condition, the, their ethnic background, so like what ethnicities were they, what were all they made up of, and then their environment, so where they live, um, and then in the environment too, they also did mention behavior, so I was talking about habits, and that would fall in line with that too. And then it lists off five questions to ask. So I'm going to read off these five questions. I want you, you know, grab a pen. Um, I don't want to say slow this down, but rewind it if you have to. Write these five questions down because this is where you can start. The first is, how old was my relative when they died and what was the cause of death? How old was my relative when they died and what was the cause of death? The second question is, are there health problems that run in the family? Just ask straight up, are there health problems that run in the family? Then is there a health history of pregnancy loss or birth defects in our family? Is there a history of pregnancy loss or birth defects in my family? Question number four, what allergies do people in my family have? What allergies do people in my family have? And then the fifth question. What is my ethnicity? And so it talks about some conditions are common amongst ethnicity. So it's really important for you to understand, you know, what yours is. I haven't done like a 23andMe, um, but it might be worth doing it just so I can learn a little bit more about all of, of my roots. Now it talks about how to record the details. They have a worksheet that they provide. I personally... I'll probably take the worksheet and turn it into a form. Being a business owner and using forms for a lot of other things. For me, it'll probably work best to have a form that then goes to a database. So that's probably what I'll do. But even if you are able to download this form, make a form for each relative, each family member, and then track that information and save it somewhere, I would recommend saving it digitally. That'll allow you to make it more accessible to your family if you so choose. Uh, so doing it digitally, I think, will be best. But there is a form that kind of lists out yes or no questions around the different ailments that we talked about before so that you can truly gain a deeper understanding of where that individual's health was throughout their lifetime. There's two final questions. Um, one is, what should I do with the health information? And so I talked about it a moment ago. They recommend sharing it with the rest of your family. And I would recommend doing the same thing. If we're looking 
to create the conditions to have healthy habits that are not just passed down, but exchanged between generations. Let's think about this contextually. I go through the process of creating this family health history. I have like 10 or 12 nieces and nephews. I probably should know that number specifically, but love you all. If I'm able to give this information to them, now they're able to look at this information and see all like cumulatively, like, oh, this is where the individuals in my family experienced various different conditions at this age, you know, that can improve their quality of how they choose to care for themselves. I can also share that information with my older siblings and my parents can leverage it too as they get older and they start realizing, oh, they can see patterns in the information that they may have known all of the information, but they not they might not have seen patterns in the data itself. So doing this can be transformative and can single-handedly help create generational wellness if it's accessible to the individuals in the family that are impacted by the health history information that's collected. So that's what you do with the information. That's what I recommend you do. Get it in a format where you can identify trends and then share it with the people that could potentially be impacted by the health history information that's been collected. And then it asks, what is, or no, is incomplete information still useful? Uh, the answer to that is yes. Um, even if you don't have all of the details, a little bit of the information can be helpful. Just to have something is an increase, a level of awareness around your family health history. I said that was that was the last couple of questions. I, I didn't lie. I was just unaware that there were more. <laughs> it says, what if I was adopted? So if that is the case, talks about asking your adoptive parents for more information it also says that you know you can reach out to uh to the state to see if you can request some of your adoption history so that you can you know find more information uh so that that may be a little bit tricky you might have to do a little bit more work but it's definitely worthwhile to dig a little bit deeper to get this information that that you need and also says, what if I'm estranged from my family? And, and that, that's a thing. You might not have access to someone in your family due to, you know, the relationships that you all have to be able to ask. And so it talks about, you know, talk to a family member that you are connected with. Get as much information from them as possible. Reach out via your doctor. So you can reach out to your doctor and have your doctor in their office reach out to the various different members of your family with like a survey to collect this information and then you can, you can then get it and then, you know, just do some research, right? Uh, you can find obituaries in most cases and like the, I don't want to say public libraries. There's certain libraries, like local libraries that like hold obituaries. You can go and, and, and just dig, find, you know, find out the information, uh, get creative. But I will say if it's not, if it doesn't seem like it's immediately accessible, you know, Make the commitment to do what you can with the resources you have to collect as much information as you can. And then what about genetic testing and genetic predisposition? And so it talks about how, you know, genetic screenings may help your doctor understand things that they might not have thought about your current status as it relates to your health. So that it can be valuable. Like I said, I haven't done genetic testing yet. It's definitely something that I'm interested in. So 
I'll I'll be looking to integrate that into, you know, my sustainable self-care system. But yeah, I I think it's important. Um, the article recommends it. So it's definitely something that I, I will explore myself too. So that's it. That is family health history. It was a lot of information, but one of the things I do want you to remember is that it might not be an easy process. There might be some heavy lifting that you, you know, may take on. Um, if there is someone else in your family that you can, you know, divide and conquer, right? You can work with in order to collect all this information. I would highly recommend you lean on them. But even if it's just you, right, know that you can do it. Just get started, keep going, and do your best to get as much information as possible on your family health history. Remember, we can only take care of what we're aware of. And so by you expanding your awareness of where your family has been and the things that you may be predisposed to, that just gives you more information to make informed decisions about how you go about caring for yourself, optimizing your health, and then passing down those healthy habits to other individuals in your sphere of influence um, and in your family and overall community. So. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Wellness Wednesdays. A couple of things I want to leave you with as usual. First, invest in your wellness because you are worth the investment. Continue to learn, continue to grow, and develop your sustainable self-care system. Lastly, you don't have to be perfect to be great. So be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself as you travel along this journey of creating generational wellness. All you have to do in order to be the change that you want to see in your family and in your community is to get started and to keep going. Thank you once again for tuning in to this episode of Wellness Wednesdays, and I look forward to having you tune in same time, same place, this time next week. Peace.